What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, who's writing in the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on the Light the Fuse podcast, he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, April 7th, 2023, which is Good Friday. Uh, We're also right in the middle of Ramadan, ninth month of the Islamic calendar, so... Whatever your religious beliefs. And KFC has nuggets now, Jim. This is these are all of these amazing events are coinciding right at the same time. It's, a, it's oh, you know, I, w- I was going for a sincere moment here. <laughs> well, that's true. That is pretty significant. Okay, anyway, whatever your beliefs or your dietary needs, Drew and I hope you and your friends and family have much health and happiness in the coming year. Though health, if you go into KFC, it's not happening. No. Speaking of health, apologies for it being so long between episodes of this podcast, but my late winter cold and the justice pollen season was beginning up here in New England, and I've been a mucous membrane with feet for a solid month now, and nobody wants to hear a podcast that's co-hosted by somebody who sounds like that. So I was listening to your band camp, Jim, and I was a little worried. I was like, <laughs> if... Did someone have an oxygen tank in case Jim is passing out? Len and I uh, both did the Galactic Star Cruiser thing, this past, and we were comparing notes about, well, what are you doing? Are you you're doing, you know, Alka-Seltzer Plus? I'm doing NyQuil. Now, Jim, we need to talk about something okay. right off the show, mm-hmm. okay? Yep. You know, I was really bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. I've been bo- bothering you for years. Mm-hmm. We got to do something about postmodern architecture at Disney. You do it with Len. Mm-hmm. You left some things out, Jim. Oh God! Yeah. So this is yeah. Let's let's have this be an addendum okay. to that. Um, first of all, I wanted to bring up the fact that Robert A. M. Stern, mm-hmm. M- Michael Eisner knew him because he refurbished his parents' apartment in New York. That is how is that he first where? got on their radar. Yes, really. Yes, and he first met. Mm-hmm. Michael Graves, Mm -hmm. when Michael Graves was attending the New York Ballet with Philip Johnson, who, again, would work for Disney on Celebration. He did the crazy, is it the town hall with all the columns? You know, it's like a million columns. Such a great building. Yes. And that is where they first met. And I wanted to talk about another funny thing about the whole Graves thing Mm -hmm. was that, as you know, that they had already, you you talked about this in the show, they had already planned Mm -hmm. two hotels there. Yep. Michael thought they were boring, so he had a cook-off mm-hmm. with different designers, and I think Robert Venturi was one of them who ended up designing the ABC building. It was the last building he built because he died in a car accident mm-hmm. during that building's construction. Mm-hmm. But when Graves won, they had a model of the Dolphin and Swan in the in his office. Mm-hmm. And do you remember the 1988 60 Minutes episode? Uh, okay. Okay. So there's a shot where he's walking through his office, mm-hmm. and you see those buildings and apparently in the architectural community Mm -hmm. it was like oh my god did you see there's a michael graves building going into disney and that is how the whole uh controversy of 
the Swan and Dolphin started, and I, I implore everyone to read a great article that I always go back to in the New York Times mm-hmm. where they define the postmodern architecture embraced by Disney as Disney Deco. Oh. And it's got great quotes by Michael Eisner in there about how he chose the architects, and it's really great. Also, the Michael Graves designed the site plan for Crescent Lake, so he designed where all those hotels were going and everything, and he just didn't end up wow. designing them. But I love you're talking about Stern's use of flats mm. in the casting building, because mm-hmm. he also used it, this might be in part three, mm-hmm. at the boardwalk. And that was, I think, the first time that a hotel had used flats in that way. Now, I know you've been working on a Disney 90s book for a while now. Now, please yes. tell me that there is a good chunk of... of yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I t- I've actually talked with Michael Eisner, mm-hmm. not Graves, who passed away in 2015, mm-hmm. recently about this, mm-hmm. and he's still as passionate. I mean, have you, have you you've seen his kind of... I think it, Frank Gehry's designed his, like, one-room cabin. <laughs> yes. Have you seen that? Yes. This is true. <laughs> it took, like, 10 years to, to design and build. It's pretty amazing looking. Mm-hmm. They just finished it, like relatively recently but it's really cool so you can literally watch michael's enthusiasm for this form working in architecture and and trying to find that sweet spot where to watch what happened after 1992 after you know euro disney opens up and uh, and it's not that the park isn't successful it's just that well they built too many hotels and and they also built the park at a time when the wall came down and suddenly they were you know steel prices shot through the roof because they were suddenly competing with all of germany which was rebuilding so they ended up in this situation where the profit they were supposed to make off of this thing just wasn't initially there and to watch a michael eisner from 93 onward uh, where he's second guessing himself, and then that that kidney punch of losing Frank Wells. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Disneyland Paris because I feel like that was the last great postmodern architecture kind of implemented at Disney mm-hmm. because all those hotels are Graves and Stern and oh, yeah. Stanley Tigerman yeah. and Frank Gehry did a lot of the um, what is it called Disney Town? What what is the whatever the downtown Disney? Yeah, is. you know the, the Festival Disney. And you see them kind of walk, they've been walking that stuff back, mm-hmm. you know, the Marvel thing at the Graves Hotel. There we go. And they, there we go. You know, the Hotel Santa Fe has like a weird cars overlay now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was really, that was a really amazing kind of architectural, you know, feat. To this day, there are people at the company who say, look, if that park had opened with just two hotels, like Walt Disney World did in 71. It would have been an entirely different situation. I mean, at least a, a billion dollars worth of debt, you know, the stuff that was dragging down the company, would have been off the table. Looks like my student loans, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, great series. I can't wait for part three. I just thought I would interject. Okay. and Also, I hope you bring up that the animation building was really inspired by the Euro Disney Preview Center. Yeah, in many ways. With that, again, in fact, the Mickey head right there. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, now Mr. Taylor hasn't just been listening to podcasts. He's been been very busy. You were, were just up in Emeryville for the long lead day on on Pixar's Elemental, which, by the way, you just described on Twitter. You, you said 
saw 20 minutes of Peter Somm's Elemental and was extremely impressed. Uh, more than mere, a mere what-if-elements-lived-in-a-city thought starter, it's a deeply personal story of the immigrant experience and the unlikely connections we form. It's also a dazzling visual feast. What a great tweet, Jim. You really read that well. I live to please. I, I, now, now, mind you, we'll talk further about Mr. Taylor's trip up to Emeryville and his overall impressions of that, that 20 minutes of Elemental that he saw in the second half of today's show. But first, the news. And as always, the news portion of today's show of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, remember, April 15th, 15th is looming, and I'm not just saying that because it's tax day, but this is also the final day that Guillermo del Toro's Crafting Pinocchio exhibit will be available for people to visit at New York's Museum of Modern Art. Uh, it's in the Paul Sachs Gallery. In fact, I did, did I tell you about... What my daughter Alice did while I was was out in L.A. Uh, last month. No, what did she do? Oh, she was so excited. She was she had bought tickets to the uh, the Guillermo del Toro exhibit, and and we're getting you know we're gonna get up early in the morning. We're gonna go see it, and it's like and so that night she I called. So how was the exhibit? I said, Dad, it's in New York. <laughs> You know, just she. They bought the tickets because they thought it was in L.A. And it was only oh. only when they looked at. Oh, it's in New York. And by the way, the MoMA couldn't have been nicer. They did refund, but it was like oh. But speaking of exhibits, have you heard of about this Reese's Pieces thing that uh, CTN Studios is doing? No. Oh, okay. Uh, it's oh yes, one- I have. I have to go, Jim. If you need to come back out so we can go, I was literally talking with Jim Schull about this the other day. I've been traveling for the month of March and want to stay home and work. But this show, uh, which, by the way, one family, five flavors. It's an, an, an exhibit of original art by SoCal artists Jerry, Rebecca, uh, Wilder, Ian, and Harold Reese. And, and it runs through May 27th. But of course, the big deal here, at least if you're a theme park fan and animation fan, is it's a celebration of Jerry Reese, prolific director, producer, uh, writer of live action and animation and transmedia. And here's the thing you have to do, Drew. And this is the thing I'm trying to figure out how to get out there to do this. But did you see, I want to say it's April 22nd, but at starting at 5 p.m., they are doing a Brave Little Toaster cast and crew reunion. Yes. I'm looking right now. Yeah. And it is crazy who's coming out for this. I mean... Chris Buck, uh, Randy Cartwright, uh, Rob Minkoff, Steve Moore, Kirk Weiss. And that's just a, a few of the folks who are actually going to come out who worked on this film. And just to be in the room to hear these guys tell stories. So at the very least, you have to go. I think I have to go. Yeah. Yeah. It looks great. If the folks at TTN haven't lined up an MC yet... You do such a good job at these Q&A things. Can you volunteer? I'll I mean, go, I'll volunteer. I, I, I'm, doing, um, a, I'm doing a 
Super Mario Brothers uh, Q and A this weekend for Universal. So yeah, I'm I'm always available, Jim. So I will I will, I will reach out and see if they need somebody to corral Whoa. the. Uh, the, Where do you do the, the Mario Brother Q and A? I'm doing it at AMC. I believe it's um, one of the guilds. It's a guild screening <laughs> because, Jim, you know the, the Oscars were three weeks ago. Uh, we have to start thinking about next year already. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> well, all right. Now, now I, I can't help but look over at Rotten Tomatoes, and and currently Super Mario Brothers is sitting at a 55 percent freshness rating. But, you know, the honest rating is 96%. People are loving this movie. This thing is selling tickets way ahead of projections, right? Yeah, I think it's going to clear. I would be surprised if it doesn't clear 200 by the end of the five-day holiday weekend. Them wow. them starting it on, on Wednesday was just a mm. stroke of genius because mm-hmm. so many kids are off of school today. They've got mm-hmm. a long weekend, and mm-hmm. this thing is 75 minutes long, so they are running mm-hmm. it all day. They can't oh. print the money quick enough, Jim. Wow, thing. with a yeah. with a running time like that, even with the twenty five minutes worth of trailers. Yes, out front, exactly. <laughs> oh man, you can get in a, a show every two hours. Yeah. Holy cow! Get in oh, there. That's yeah, good. Yeah. So you've seen the film. So your thoughts? You know, it, it, you get what's on the tin with this mm-hmm. one, Jim. It is just a very colorful, beautifully mm-hmm. animated, uh, mm-hmm. you know, romp that will delight people who have played the game, you know, all, mm-hmm. all sorts of different ages. And it really does the most important thing these days, Jim, which is that it mm-hmm. sets up a franchise. <laughs> Can you call the, the end scene of this thing an Easter egg? I think you have does, to. I think that's the only yeah. thing you can call it, given okay. what's in that scene, if you will. But I see Jim is already turning to the last chapter of the book even though I yell at him about it. I'm a terrible person. You know this about me. <laughs> Out ahead of, you know, what we'll be talking in the second half of the show about Elemental. I, I was literally over at Amazon, and what's interesting is the art of Elemental book goes on sale May 16th, a full month ahead of when this movie opens in theaters. And by the way, I, w- I was checking, and I can still get a copy of, of Art of Onward as well. A, a wonderful book by uh, somebody, uh, Drew Taylor. I, have, I, don't I, I threatened to there. sign the books at the Pixar store, Jim, and they, they threatened to call security. <laughs> so it was a very... <laughs> it's a give and take. It's a give and take. This is why you should always carry the Sharpie. Yes. Okay. Variety just today ran a story about the Mario Brothers. Did you see where Chris Pratt evidently did try kind of a Tony Soprano-esque voice? And evidently, literally the directors of the film was like, that's eh, a little too New Jersey. Hey, I'm plumbing here. That kind of thing, I guess. Eh, it's something like that. Okay. Something like that. So... Have you seen this actually in theaters, or you've just done the press screening? Right? No, I, I no, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen it with an audience. But okay. if I had, mm-hmm. I would be treated to many new animated trailers. That's for sure. I'm kind of hoping when we go out, I get to see the across the Spider Verse trailer up on the big screen because when that dropped back on April 4th, I had the Philip J. Fry moment. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> I want to see this movie now. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. that looked amazing. And, and I guess I wasn't the only person 
who felt this way about this trailer because what, what at this point it's the highest viewed trailer for the spider-verse franchise it's the most viewed second trailer for any marvel movie wow people want to see this movie they're, they're looking for info about it um oh, oh, oh did you see the peter ramsey directed episode of the mandalorian a week or so oh back, my god i did i loved it i mean and then i messaged peter of course and i was like dude Knocked it out of the park, bro. And he was like, oh, yes, thank you, thank you. I thought it was amazing. I think it might be the best episode of Mando ever. Certainly this season, but... I try to be strong when it comes to Star Wars, but I want a copy of that pirate ship. The the Corsair, whatever they called oh, it. Oh, yeah, it, it was beautiful. Oh, it looks so cool. Yeah. So, well, anyway, in addition to other trailers that I'm sure are attached to the Super Mario Brothers, uh, we got our Trolls Band Together trailer that dropped uh, on March 31st. And that isn't coming out till November 17th of this year. But the premise they laid out, I kind of like that. That that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and um, for our animation fans, the 2D animated sequence, which is teased in the trailer, was animated by our friends over at Titmouse, who do such amazing work. Um, yes, I did an interview with uh, Walt Doran, the director of Trolls, for the trailer premiere. So if you want to read that, go over to the wrap, read it. It's good. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And just because, you know, again, you got to fill up that solid 25 minutes before the film begins. We, we most likely would also have a trailer for Illuminations film after the super mario brothers which is migration uh doesn't open till december 22nd not a particularly long trailer lots of no. explaining yeah yeah when when 30 seconds of the minute long trailer are clips from other illumination movies mm -hmm. saying we did all the stuff that you love here's a new uh -huh. thing that you might love i mean i'm really excited for this one it's you know mike white wrote it and the guy that there directed ernest and mm -hmm. celestine Mm -hmm. directed it and it's got kind of a nice painterly look mm -hmm. to it so i'm mm -hmm. hopeful for this one but yeah that trailer didn't give us much to uh chew on that's why they use the word tease that's true jim that's true speaking of teasing for more than a year now you've been telling me behind the scenes about trek 5 and how i you know initially oh it's a reboot like, no 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 not a reboot and the voice cast is coming back so Chris Malandri, you know, just this week talking about not only Super Mario Brothers, but also what else is coming from DreamWorks as well as Illuminations. And so we have our Shrek 5 with the original cast. And I guess they're still trying to lock in the deals, right? Yeah, you know, that's always a really good negotiation tactic, Jim, when you say we're trying to get actors, but we haven't signed them yet. In a mm -hmm. public forum. that's That always makes things easier, Jim. And I'm sure will not drive anybody's price up another couple of million. But uh, that was a little, that was curious to me, Jim. That was a little, little odd. Did you see that there was like this two or three second long clip from Despicable Me 2 showed up where evidently you can hear Al Pacino's voice? No. Uh, oh my God. Villain? Yeah, you know, it's just sort of like, I, and remember how weird that was. Yes. That weren't they just weeks out from release when that that went all went sideways? Or yeah, and um, I I had talked to people who said that it was so 
mm-hmm. hard because Benjamin Bratt was mm-hmm. sinking to animation that had been done to Al Pacino's voice. I can't even imagine that. That's one of those things where you get a posthumous medal for living through an experience like that, trying to make that work. But So anyway, we, we supposedly have a Shrek 5 coming. Chris also talked about how he hopes to get the donkey spinoff that Eddie Murphy was supposedly talking up on the heels of the success of Puss in Boots' uh, The Last Wish. Likewise, supposedly there's a Secret Life of Pets sequel in the work, but they're looking at two different takes on the material. One is sort of taking one character from the, the film and sort of spinning off a full adventure there. The other one is much like the first two films in the, the franchise, a, a full ensemble piece. And, and also with Sing 3, which, again, given that we got a Frozen 3 and a Zootopia 2 and a Toy Story 5 coming, it's just... Isn't this sounding like a math problem at this point? <laughs> a lot of unanswered questions from Sing 2, Jim. You know, um, what else could they <laughs> sing, I guess, is the only question. <laughs> well, and, and more to the point, where do they go after Vegas? Yeah, I mean, where do they go like, after Vegas? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Speaking of unanswered questions or, or questions that are difficult to answer, did you see back on, on March 23rd where the Orange County District Attorney's Office dismissed all charges against Justin Roiland? Yes. He talked about how he was going to try to uh, get a focusing on my both my creative projects and restoring my good name. And this is going to get interesting, isn't it? Because, well, Adult Swim, you know, cut ties with him. And there was that pretty damning piece uh, was that the hollywood reporter that did the story back in in february where just basically you know it was all of the insiders working on all of his various shows talking about how he's kind of been phoning it in or been held at a distance for years now yeah yeah how do you come back from something like this and more to the point given that the charges were dropped what do you do in the industry what i mean face it this is a guy who's created you know, or been part of the creation of some hugely popular animated projects. What's the path here? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, they obviously, when the allegations surfaced, um, mm-hmm. Disney and Adult Swim both said that they were no longer working with him because he has a couple of projects for Hulu, I believe. Mm-hmm. Solar Opposites, obviously, but also he was a voice on Koala Man, which he was, was renewed for a second season. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know where you go from here. I mean, he is not going to be a part of these shows anymore, I don't think. So, no, no. Yeah, yeah I don't know. But I have something positive about Adult mm-hmm. Swim, if you want to talk about that quickly. Sure, quickly, sure, but sure, I did. sure. Yeah. Did you mm-hmm. see the trailer for Unicorn Warriors Eternal? The no. New- okay. Oh, okay. Uh, so this is coming out in May on mm-hmm. uh, Adult Swim. It was initially... Mm-hmm. When it was announced, and I'm sure you remember this, Jim, they they kind of said it was more of an all ages kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was just going to be on Cartoon Network, but mm-hmm. it's Adult Swim at midnight. Okay, that's a giveaway. <laughs> yes, on May 13th, I may or okay. may not have already seen most of the episodes, Jim, and I may or may not be able to say mm-hmm. that this is something that every animation fan, every Gendy Tartakovsky fan, every Adult Swim fan is going to absolutely love as we patiently await word for primal 
season three. Um, it's the same animation studio. It's oh. the same mixture of amazing heart and incredible mm. action sequences. It's mm-hmm. set in a steampunk Victorian London. Mm-hmm. It is a blast. So, I mean, I would say that if I had seen it, Jim, this is all very hypothetical, obviously. Okay, um, well, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Well, all right. No, no, no. Okay. I, I like that. We end on a, a, a first half on an upbeat note. Yes. And even more fun on the second half, folks, when, when Drew talks about Pixar's Elemental. But first, this. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Before we get to Drew talking about Elemental, uh, a kind of a sad note. On March 25th, uh, we lost Leo Sullivan. Uh, who is the co-founder of Hollywood's first black-owned animation studio. Six decades in animation, Drew. And in fact, started out as a cell washer at Bob Clampett's studio. Uh, working really? on, Be- on Beanie and Cecil. And then, you know, uh, worked as an animator, layout artist on shows like The Flintstones, Scooby-Doo, uh, Mighty Mouse, The Super Friends, Fat Albert, Transformers, My Little Pony, Tiny Toons, and even Animaniacs. But uh, what he's best known for these days is he uh, founded Vignette Studios back in 1966, along with friend of the show and Disney legend Floyd Norman, uh, Richard Allen, and Norm Eldon. In fact... Have you ever seen the Hey, 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 It's Fat Albert special from 69? What, what, what was special about it? Tell me, tell well, me more, uh, Jim. No, it, it, was, it was done for NBC. It was done in prime time. It had this wonderful, sketchy animation style that was entirely different than the, uh, the Fat Albert show from Filmation. Okay. And the animation was done on top of photographs uh, you know uh, mind you photographs that have been color treated that sort of thing of actual philadelphia you know the inner city i mean this sounds really familiar yeah mm -hmm. that's so cool it was wonderful and you know i i remember watching it as a kid and then trying to chase it down as an adult and evidently bill cosby himself you know and the irony of course is he you know chose this all of these black animators and artists to work on it. But when he made his own deal with filmation, what I've always found interesting about the fat Albert show, the thing that ran on CBS uh, Saturday morning is that's what actually got Bill Cosby, his doctorate. He actually submitted that as part of his package to doctor of education and got it. But anyway, that, that thank God that's the last we ever heard of Bill Cosby. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but but long story short, hey, hey, it's Fat Albert. The the TV special basically got deep sixed after the uh, Fat Albert show debuted on CBS. And it's, it's, you know, I keep hoping someday that somebody will restore it and put it in a Blu-ray and so we can all see this the way it was intended to be seen. Because I've, I've seen like dupes of dupes of dupes of bad VHSs and it's... Ugh. There's 24 seconds of footage on YouTube, Jim, so I don't know if that's going to really 
put it right in there with you. Hey, you know, you take that three seconds of Al Pacino from Despicable, you know, <laughs> me too. <laughs> We're cruising right up on yeah, 30 seconds of entertainment, folks. All right. Anyway, folks, seriously, though, Mr. Sullivan passed away in Los Angeles on, on March 25th of heart failure. And Drew and I wish to express his sincere and heartfelt condolences to uh, Leo's friends and family at this sad, sad time. And Mr. Sullivan will all be obviously be missed, but his art will live on. Also, I want to remind you folks, uh, we are recording this on April 7th. And today, do you remember hearing about that Mummies project? I saw this, Jim. I and, and I was it it was Did actually really? it actually made money overseas. I was looking at the overseas box office the past mm-hmm. few months and I was like, man, are we ever gonna get that movie mm-hmm. and tell the people how they can see it right now, Jim? It is available today through uh, now mind you, you have to purchase it digitally through Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. You've seen it? I haven't seen it. I was I almost went and saw it. I think it was out when I was in England for Avatar. Okay. But I hear it's okay, but it looks kind of fun. There's a trailer out there that that between the stylization and the animation, you know, evidently it was done by a Spanish studio. And it looks intriguing to me. I, you know, I definitely want to chase this down. Although, speaking of Warner Brothers related stuff and this debuted just yesterday, April 6th, but evidently season five of Looney Tunes cartoons dropped on HBO Max. Uh, We now have access to episodes 166 through 171, which I guess, (laughs) remember when they announced this project and how they're going to produce a thousand minutes of new Looney Tunes stuff? I wonder how close they are at this point to that that thousand minute total. Yeah, should we get a can we check in with it? Let's see where we, is it in a thousand hmm. minutes. If anyone knows, please let us know because Jim and I can't count and or do math. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Okay, so let's switch now to talking about Pixar's Elemental, which of course is directed by. Peter Song, which both Drew and I love, you know, we, we, we've been a fan of, of Peter's career. What, he's been at Pixar now, I think he started in 2002, 2003? But while Peter was at CalArts, did you see where he, he landed a job that summer working on uh, The Iron Giant with Brad Bird? What a guy. I mean, that is amazing. <laughs> I love that that's his first hands-on uh, animation experience. And then uh, evidently after graduating school, went to Disney and Warner's, in fact, worked on Osmosis Jones before he finally ended up at Pixar working in the art and story department on Nemo. And of course, you know, we could talk about all the voice work he's done, a meal for Ratatouille or Squishy for Monsters, Inc. Or the socks from Lightyear and your socks from Studio 7? Yes, yes. Uh, Super okay. 7. Super, Super seven. 7. Yes. We have this prominently displayed at the house? Yes. Or? Yeah. Well, he's still on his carrier right now because the carrier looks like the carrier from the movie. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's hard It's hard to give up. I just need to re- find the right spot for socks. Since you introduced me to Super 7. Did you see the Rescuers figures, Jim? <laughs> How good is that? It killed me. I can't, it, that's the thing. I, I, had, I have been studiously avoiding... 
this company because they have so much stuff that I want. And then that showed up in my feed. And it was like, oh. <laughs> the best part is you can buy yep. Bianca and Bernard together mm-hmm. and they're like mm-hmm. six inches or whatever. But you yep. can also buy Penny and she comes with a miniature Bernard and Bianca, which is so cool. And I just mm. love that. And that is the studio. That is the Super 7 difference, mm. Jim. That is what sets them apart. <sighs> Stuff like that. Okay. Yes. And, uh, well, but I, I was hoping to leave Alice some money at some point in my life. But it's like, <laughs> I guess that's not happening now. <laughs> Anyway, so let's talk about Pixar's Elemental. So again, this is the standard Pixar long lead event. So you get to see about a third of the movie. Well, it was harder this time because they did not show us from like, you know, minute one to minute Mm -hmm. 35. It was like different scenes. Oh, yeah. We did see the opening. And I think, you know, you and I were sitting next to each other at the um, Mm -hmm. presentation at D23 this year Mm -hmm. or last year. And it was like, you know, he came out and he did this great presentation about Mm -hmm. it being a personal story and, you know, very autobiographical. And then they showed Mm -hmm. a scene that was like completely like had no connection to what he was talking about. Like it was two characters walking along kind of by water. It was kind of a Mm -hmm. date scene, Mm -hmm. but what the footage they showed at Pixar really did was reinforce that personal story that Pete told us about at the 23. You know, okay. you start out, you see the city that has basically the, the water and earth, I think are the two elements that get there first. So mm-hmm. that's why the city is kind of built more around those elements mm-hmm. and the fire people come last. And it's like a really heartfelt, you know, mm-hmm. Ember, who's the main character. Her mom is pregnant with Ember uh, in the beginning and it is just uh, really, really beautiful and touching and sort of really moving. And I give Pixar a lot of credit for making mm-hmm. a story about immigration, given the current political climate and the amount of yeah. hot water Disney mm-hmm. is in with mm-hmm. people who discourage immigration. You can you can fill in the blanks on that one about who I'm talking about. But um, mm-hmm. so I give him a lot of credit. And, you know, the animation is just really uh, vivacious and super detailed. I mean, Jim, they spent seven years working on this movie. Woof. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And typically with each Pixar film, there's a particular vision, a, a look, something they're, they're, they're shooting for for the film that they have to crack. I mean, remember on Inside Out, they were talking about how they wanted, you know, sort of a fuzziness to the characters that were inside of Riley's imagination, kind of a, an ephemeral look to them. So what was the, the issue in Elemental? I mean, well, I, I, you know, they talked a lot about uh, making characters look like they were made mm-hmm. of fire, but not on fire. And the same thing with clouds and earth and water. They They went through a lot of... We, we saw this incredible kind of progression of the water characters because, mm-hmm. you know, at first, if it was really realistic, if you went around the back of the character, you would see the back of his eyeballs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it was like, whoa, 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 let's okay. turn that down a little bit, turn the realism okay. down. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what was really interesting was that for one sequence, which is set mm-hmm. in this kind of uh, arena this mm-hmm. kind of sporting game that combines soccer and skydiving. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they gave us all 3D glasses, and they so we watched this sequence in 3D, which is really cool. Um, but mm-hmm. they really are pushing it. They used AI to help craft the look of some of these characters, which is really interesting in a process that I will not pretend to understand mm. at all. Okay. Um, okay. But, yeah, I mean, it's just one of the most amazing-looking movies you'll see, period. And, you know, I talked to, to Peter a mm. little bit there, also ran into our friend Angus McLean, uh, and oh. I also saw Bob Peterson, who we, we can... I will tell you that story in a minute. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, he he really said that he he really felt like he had something to prove after... The good mm-hmm. dinosaur didn't quite connect the way that it that he wanted it to, but also he was really intent on telling a, you know, personal story. That was something that was mm-hmm. just super, super important to him. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, the art is just absolutely beautiful. I can't wait for the art of book. Uh, you'll appreciate, Jim, that for the first mm-hmm. time ever, you know, they have those little galleries kind of on the second floor of the main building for whatever yeah, movies in production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they actually covered up pieces of artwork because they were spoilers. Mm-hmm. Which you remember at the, you know, I I think you were at the Incredibles 2 long lead where it was like, what's this boat all about? You know, and it was like. I think it was I, my sit down with Peter and the producer. And again, the very thing you were talking about, you know, you're, you're waiting outside for your interview to begin. And I look over and here's a picture of the, the caveman family. So I go in to, to sit down and talk with them about, okay, so the movie ends, you know, Spot gets adopted by the caveman family, and they look at each other, you know, eyes like dinner plates, like, how did you figure that out? It's like, the, the picture that's on the wall outside the room here. So I guess I'm not surprised that they did finally cover up the pictures. But Yeah, first time. I've never seen that before, but yeah. So, okay, that's probably my, my fault. I'm sorry. Well... Also talking about spoiling things, Jim. At the end, you know, you have a very scheduled day. Mm-hmm. You go from oh, room sure. to room, yeah. and mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. learn how to draw the characters. You do whatever, mm-hmm. and yep. then there was like, oh, we're going back into the theater, and mm-hmm. I was like, what? This is not on our schedule. This mm-hmm. is a very you know rigorous mm-hmm. uh, day plan, mm-hmm. and yep. we go in, and I look in the back of the auditorium, and mm-hmm. Bob Peterson says, oh hey Drew, <laughs> and I say. Oh, hey, Bob Peterson. I wonder mm-hmm. what we're doing in this theater. And what did we do, Jim? We saw mm-hmm. the very final Doug Day's short. Oh, no. Carl's date. Wow. And it is wonderful. And everyone was a mess <laughs> at the end of the screening. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, what's kind of interesting is if you go over to... Uh, Ed Asner's IMDb that there were he did a, a certain amount of voice work that is slowly making its way out to the marketplace. But w- was that the thing that got to you guys? This is the last time we're going to see Asner as Carl, or yeah. And there's just there's an there's a moment towards the end of the short that is just absolutely heartbreaking and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't want to ruin it. It'll play theatrically in front of Elemental. It's really nice to see one of those mm-hmm. shorts because I know you and I were big fans of the other shorts. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, I love that series screen. at Disney Plus. And I, I, again, I'm assuming at some point it'll join the other ones yes, over there. Yes, but... and you'll appreciate okay. the question I asked in front of the whole room full of mm-hmm. journalists was. Was that Blue Jay from Doug Days the same Blue Jay from Turning Red? And uh, Bob looked at me and he said, that's what you want to ask? 
And I said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And guess what, Jim? It is the same Blue Jay. And he was quick to point out mm-hmm. that Blue Jay was made for Doug Days and was borrowed by oh. turning around. So, yes. There you go. <laughs> Sharing assets. Okay. Yes. yes. All right. Well, uh, lightning round here. Okay. So you got to see about 20 minutes. We know about Wade. You know, we know about Amber. Was there a, a character? I mean, I, for example, I was I was delighted to see that Catherine O'Hara is doing voice work for this film. Yes, yes. We actually saw the scene that introduces her, which was really oh. crazy. The water people live in this kind of glass high rise mm-hmm. um, kind of thing, and it's it's an amazing scene, and she's really really funny. Is there a, a breakout character that you saw? Yeah, there's actually there's an Earth character named Claude mm-hmm. who is like okay. a little kid mm-hmm. who hangs out around the kind of convenience store that the main character's family owns, mm-hmm. and he's kind of always hassling her mm-hmm. and you know trying to get her to go out on a date with him, and he mm-hmm. is super cute. And they already have an action figure out of him, <laughs> um, and he's really, really fun. So watch out for Claude. He is—he will steal your Claude. heart. Yeah. Okay. And what about the film? Do you think is going to surprise people? I think that it is that kind of, you know, emotional undercurrent that mm-hmm. I think is going to connect with a lot of people, and certainly did <laughs> with a lot of people that were there at Pixar. Just mm-hmm. you know that. I think that the kind of like it's a magical city thing has been used so much and could have gone in a really bad direction. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you watch this movie and it's just so beautiful and so kind of kind of transports you to this other world. And Mm -hmm. as far as we saw, there is not some like huge, you know, there's not like a evil genius trying to destroy the city Mm -hmm. or something like that. It's really just about people Mm -hmm. trying to make it in the world and and with each other's differences and you know it's a it's a very contemporary story i think that mm-hmm. people are going to respond to wow okay so i mean and and when you think about pixar over the past five years between soul and luca and turning red and of course onward and and uh Lightyear, any of those that you feel from a vibe this is closest to? It's or? probably closest to Soul is my guess. I think it's a really strong original Pixar concept. And I think we're in a really good place uh, in terms of Pixar movies overall. I just think that mm-hmm. the, this run has been really great. And yeah, I cannot wait for more. And I'm sure we'll have an Elio trailer attached to it as well. So, Oh, God, that's right. That's right. Also, Jim, I want to tell you that one of the editors of Win or Lose mm. came up to me yep. and said, I love mm-hmm. fine tuning. So <laughs> We got one. Yeah, I think he might have he might have drank some poison or something and it might have been affecting him. But he did say he loved it. So Oh, that's yeah. right. Well, the nice that we actually get a, a, a new episode out yet yes. after a month off. Yes, okay. Yes. Anyway, speaking of, of new episodes, folks, seriously, because Drew is so much better at this podcast thing than I am. If you are not listening to Light the Fuse, the, the wonderful Mission Impossible podcast that Drew does with his equally talented co-host, Charles Hood, you're just missing out on so much... Hollywood history. I mean, I just, I love 
tangentially, I mean, yes, I, I come from the Mission Impossible stories, but I learned so much more about, <laughs> you know, these people's careers yes. and, or what, you know, influenced particular shots or that sort of thing in the film. And so what's going on, you know, this month with Light Diffuse? Well, this week, the, the episode we just put out is uh, Paul Shear part one. So we p- talked mm-hmm. to him, Paul about his thoughts on the franchise and it's it's mm-hmm. very funny, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got part two will be the week that this episode of Fine Tuning comes out. And we've got some other mm-hmm. great, great guests coming up. Um, and then we'll oh. go to CinemaCon at the end of the month. Oh, God. Okay. Do you know how much Charles loves being the big spoon for our, you know, 22 <laughs> hours in uh, Las Vegas? <laughs> oh, I will light a candle for you, Drew. In addition to the, the, the wonderful Light Diffuse podcast that Drew and Charles do, we got a couple of podcasts here, too. Uh, we, of course, got Disney Dish that I do with Mr. Testa. Likewise, we have Marvelous uh, Disney, a podcast I do with Aaron Adams. Uh, likewise, Brian Gaughan and I do Looking at Lucasfilm. And after all the news coming out of Star Wars Celebration in London, we're going to quite the show there. You excited to learn how the how the Force started, Jim? <laughs> Boy, that's a question that's been on my mind. <laughs> uh, I, you know, what I'm honestly more intrigued by was they finally announced the uh, the three, uh, what is it, Dave Filoni, uh, and I'm blanking the name. Uh, yeah, James the, Mangold is doing, that's, he's doing, yes, the, one, that's he's doing exactly. the one about the origin of the Force. When you think about the number of people who have supposedly been teed up to, uh, you know, Patty Jenkins, Taika Waititi, you know, all of these folks who were supposed to direct Star Wars movies. And now, you know, James Mangold and, and Dave Filoni, it's just literally, it's like, okay, I, I know I can trust you guys. You know, I, I've worked with you. So, uh, you know, go with these. But uh, yeah, very, very interesting moment. Very interesting news coming out of uh, London there. But, we'll talk off uh, air, Jim. We'll talk off air. <laughs> Okay, there we go. Um, all right. If you could do Mr. Tail and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, again, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine tuning, but like, likewise, like the fuse. Social media wise, I, I guess I'm intrigued to see you back on Twitter, or, or did we never leave? I never uh, left, Jim. I've still been okay. there. Just. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I. Doing the same thing. And anywhere else where folks can find you? Just or? uh Instagram, same same handle, mm. Drew Taylor, like a mm. tailored shirt. And what about you, okay. Jim? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram is Jimmy Media and over on Facebook is Jimmy Media News. Anyway, uh, that's gonna do it for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. Drew and I will be back soon. <laughs>